Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening we are going to be talking about one of the kind of big hot-button issues in RPGs, something there's been a lot of discourse around, and something I really just kind of wanted to put all my thoughts on the table about, and that is, of course, the concept of safety tools in RPGs. Uh, Do we need them? What are they? What do they do? What do they purport to do? What does their inclusion say? All that stuff. I'm hoping to address all that kind of stuff uh, this evening with my... uh, Hopefully the the last time I have to talk about this, because it's Again, cards on the table here. I think this is a stupid concept. I, I really do. Um, it it smacks of someone or someones in the community trying to basically be the parent, trying to you know make everyone get along and share their toys or whatever, and it just. It, it feels so much like something you would tell a child to do. It it feels like this was written for children, but I know it's directed at adults because of the content that it targets. And honestly, my uh, like one sentence take on this is: people are adults. Let them handle things like adults. But I'm going to dig a whole lot deeper into that uh, just as we have this discussion. So uh, first and foremost, I uh, just want to let everyone know uh, John Hambone McGuire's uh, Kickstarter for Point Nemo is launching in just about a week, I'm pretty sure. Very beginning of November. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to bring him on the show at some point during that campaign to discuss uh, Rocket to Russia, which I do have right here for demonstration purposes, and also talk a little bit about Point Nemo, how the two tie together, talk a little bit about the 3 one action system, all that good stuff. And uh, also, I believe Venger Satanis has a Kickstarter going on right now. Let me actually pull that up real quick, and I will let you know what the current uh, Chult Kickstarter is, just to I'll give everyone their their due here. So let's see. Yeah. So currently, uh, Chult Chartreuse Shadows is 
uh, on Kickstarter with 19 days to go. Uh, one Kickstarter I never got the chance to mention that Venger put out. It was a short uh, little campaign that he did. Um, but it was Crimson Escalation. And I, I mentioned it when I was on Professor Dungeon, or not Professor Dungeon Master, uh, when I was on Brock's DM's Toolkit. Uh, I, I mentioned Crimson Escalation and what all that was. It's a, it's a really cool uh, mechanic that I'm looking forward to implementing in Nighthaven. The only reason I didn't talk about it while the campaign was going on was uh, we didn't have a Nighthaven session while it was happening. And that's where I'm going to be using it. So... We'll get to see a little bit of that. And uh, lastly, before we jump into the topic at hand here, uh, everyone who went to Gamehole Con, I hope you guys had a good time. I'm sad that I couldn't make it this year. Uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, so hopefully, you know, at some point in the future, I'll be able to make it to Gamehole Con. Uh, that's one that I'm actually really looking forward to uh, being at at some point. So, with that out of the way, RPG safety tools. What are they? What do they do? Where do they come from? What do we do with them? So the basic idea of safety tools kind of, you know, boiled down to its essence is they are mechanics that are put in place to ensure that no one's boundaries at the table are crossed to make sure that no one is uncomfortable with content that's, uh, you know, in the game, uh, that no one is, you know, heaven forbid, being traumatized or something like that, um, having to relive some kind of, you know, terrible moment of their life or something like that. And they are, you know, tools to basically get that stuff out in the open, uh, you know, find out where players' lines are and make sure that they're not crossed. And if they are crossed, to allow uh, players to, you know, signal that they've been crossed. I may have made it sound like there's no good to be found in this concept, and I don't actually believe that. I, I think this is a very mixed bag as far as, you know, good and bad. Because you don't want people at your table to constantly be uncomfortable. You don't want to constantly be putting players in situations where they're not, uh, you know, happy with what's going on. Not necessarily not happy, because that's that's a whole other subject. That's We'll talk about that in the problem section. But, you know, you don't want to put players into situations where they're going to be forced to feel uncomfortable or you know, worse. Because not everyone's comfortable with the same things. Uh, to use a good example... As I've talked about on the show before, I'm not super comfortable anytime there's like uh, sexual role play going on in my games, especially as a dungeon master, because it's one thing if it's two players at the table, I can kind of be like, oh, that's their thing. I'm not involved in it. I don't care. I can, you know, ignore that for a little bit. But when you're the dungeon master, oftentimes you are playing the NPC that the, uh, the player character is trying to woo. So, you know, bringing, you know, having that kind of, uh, those kind of moves put on you, sometimes it's funny because, you know, the player will be, like, stumbling over their words or something like that, or they'll, you know, throw out some kind of ridiculous line, but 
there's a certain point at which it becomes uncomfortable. There's a certain point at which you have to, like, basically pretend that you want to bed the player character. And that's that's right up against the line of where I'm not comfortable. So I handle sexual situations usually not at all, but if one comes up, it's generally fade to black. And I think that's best for everyone. Now, there are other people who fall into other camps on this, uh, most notably uh, Vendra Satanis, the aforementioned Venger. He's got Alpha Blue, which is very explicit. Even Chalt is a little bit on the explicit side. Um, so there's a market for that. There are people who like to do that. I'm not one of those people. And if I found myself in a game where that happened on the regular, I'd probably not want to be there. And so the the good part of safety tools would latch onto something like that and say, here, we're, this is a mechanism to allow you to escape that situation, to not constantly be forced into it. The problem is these tools don't encourage you to handle these problems like adults. And they create a weird situation oftentimes at the table where the attention is put on one player in particular, sometimes at the expense of other players, but no one's supposed to question it. It's just supposed to, you know, done. It's over. Skip past that. Even if it's just one person at the table who thinks that way. And the reason why I think this is a problem is I think a lot of this stuff should be handled up front, not during the game. If it, if something is coming up during the game, then the proper setup was not done beforehand, in my opinion. So a lot of this needs to be handled before session one, either during session zero or during the build-up to everything that's going to happen, which I've talked about before. Session zero is a very important time. Um, and even before session zero, I, I think a lot of this stuff can be handled in the pitch document. Uh, just telling your players, hey, you know, here's a general rating as if this were a, a movie or a video game that this, you know, session is going, or this uh, campaign is going to have. Uh, that comes along with this kind of content. Uh, if you guys are cool with that, cool. If not, let me know and we'll think of something else. And honestly, that's about the extent of the conversation, in my opinion. Um, now, in discussing this, I'm going to be leaning on a couple different resources. I'm actually going to be examining uh, just like Top to bottom, the Consent in Gaming PDF that Monty Cook Games put out two years ago. Unfortunately, a lot of this discourse is kind of old, but it's beginning to surface in lots of different places. In 2019, when this discourse first started, it was very much, uh, you know, just kind of present in independent products, you know, it, Evil Hat and Money Cook Games were kind of the first ones that really put stuff like this out there. Um, and then a whole bunch of other companies followed suit. So, like, to, to the point where 
you know, as I discussed in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, it's all over the place. It's really the whole purpose of putting out this book, in my opinion, because Lord knows the rest of the book isn't any good. Nothing really to discuss in, in Van Richten's Guide except for four pages. And even, you know, like, uh, there's a there's a short section in Rocket to Russia about stuff like that and, and you know, a bunch of other places. In fact, I even said, that's that's why we're doing this, because when I was reviewing Rocket to Russia, I came across that, and I was just like, I need to talk about all of this right now, and then never talk about it again. But one of the resources that I'm going to be leaning heavily on, uh, there's a YouTuber out there, Short Fat Otaku. Uh, he's been making videos forever. Um, he has done a series of videos recently that are really, really good, just about... Uh, progressive culture and what it does to people, how it treats people, how it kind of belittles people in a way, and how it encourages weakness. Um, and not like physical weakness, although it does encourage that too, but, you know, your, your testicular fortitude, your, your, your ability to stand up for yourself and your ability to, you know, be self-reliant emotionally. Um, and we'll get into that. And the other issue here is that, you know, the, these are things that came up, um, and are being pushed by what, uh, Richard Meyer over at, uh, Comics Matter with your you boy Zach, uh, calls 12 psychos on Twitter. These are the, uh, the dilettantes who have kind of come into the RPG world as it's become popular and as the discourse online has started to include RPGs. If you guys hear, like, cat noises like that, uh, my, okay, Nora just left the room, so there's not going to be a cat fight. A literal cat fight, as in two cats fighting. But anyway, a lot of this is, you know, the, these are tools of people who don't really care about the hobby and just want to be part of the conversation. They're, they're pushing these things in a lot of cases. And so we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. So uh, with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about the history of this and where it all comes from. As I mentioned, the, the first two places where I saw this kind of, you know, enter the conversation uh, was in 2019, and it was the release of Consent and Gaming by Monty Cook, which we'll look at in a little bit, and a roleplay card game called For the Queen, which is put out by Evil Hat. The first time I encountered this mechanic was in a game of For the Queen. I'd never seen that before. And those were the only two that I was aware of at the time that had fully uh, incorporated those mechanics. Uh, now, obviously, Consent in Gaming is an all-purpose, use this with whatever system, whatever game you're playing. Uh, you can pass this out to your players, and you can use these rules. Um, the idea of the X card, which is kind of the big one that everyone's familiar with, that showed up for the first time. Uh, the the document that that came from by uh, John Stavropoulos, I believe I pronounced that right. 
that came out in 2013 or was created in 2013. I don't know when it was first distributed, but it's right around this time, right around the beginning of uh, 5th edition, as RPGs are exploding, as um, you know, Critical Role starts to become popular, starts to take off, uh, right around the time Stranger Things is released. This is when RPGs become mainstream, and as they become mainstream with all that that entails today... Uh, this discourse starts coming in. And there's a couple reasons for that. And, you know, not to not to beat around the bush too much, uh, the, there, there are... There, there are a couple things that happen... Or there, there are multiple things that happen when a product goes from being underground or relatively underground to suddenly being mainstream. Um, and, and the biggest thing that happens is the product begins to get uh, altered or diluted, depending on your perspective, to appeal to a broader, more, you know, different audience. Whether it's to kids, to older people who are just not getting... You, you saw this with the Nintendo Wii. To give an, an innocuous example, the Nintendo Wii, when it was first coming out, uh, was marketed as this is the first console that is truly for the family. Uh, this this was marketed to old people with uh, you know Wii Fit and families and little kids and parents. It wasn't just a video game console for uh, you know kids and gamers. This was the console that was supposed to be for everyone. And as a result, some will argue, uh, rightfully so in my opinion, that a lot of the gaming experiences, the pure um, non-motion controlled, just, you know, core gamer experiences were diluted on the Wii. Uh, you know, not to jump into that 15-year-old discourse, but... That's what happens when a product goes from being niche or underground to being mainstream. And along with that, you get the dilettantes. I'm going to use that word a lot. For anyone who doesn't know what a dilettante is, it's an old-timey word, uh, meaning someone who pretty much just has a base level uh, knowledge of a certain topic. Uh, essentially just for the social clout. So the term generally referred to uh, wealthy people who didn't know anything about the arts but wanted to be seen as deep. So they had like a very surface level knowledge of opera, painting, sculpting, music, that kind of thing. And you see this a lot of times with the internet. Uh, when when something kind of blows up culturally for one reason or another, you see uh, the the online version of dilettantes. Uh, and when they start to kind of you know permeate the culture of or the online culture, the discourse around a certain product, you get the people who know a lot about these things sometimes get pretty upset. And this is where the whole, you're being a gatekeeper, how dare you tell me how to play, blah, 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 all that comes in. 
and it turns into a mess. But ultimately, uh, and and I get a lot of crap for this, just like in my personal life. But ultimately, I do side with the gatekeepers because I understand where they're coming from. I you know I I understand where they're coming from. There, there's a great episode of King of the Hill about this, where uh, Peggy starts to sell all of the real estate in uh, the the Hispanic neighborhood to hipsters and the hipsters come in and they start changing the neighborhood and all of the uh hispanic residents who were there hate it they hate the changes because it's no longer their place anymore it's been you know overrun it's been taken over that's how people feel in subcultures when uh things start to you know get watered down or start to get uh you know made made more accessible for people who generally weren't interested in them, but now are because it's cool for internet points or, or something like that. You know, the, the Marvel movies start to make a lot of money. So suddenly people who couldn't have told you the difference between Iron Man and Iron Fist are now talking about both as if they've read the characters their whole lives and they don't know any more than they did initially. It's frustrating. Here, I'll, I'll back up and show you. One of my favorite bands is Rush. I love Rush. Um, <laughs> Rush fans are notorious for this. You get someone who's only heard uh, Moving Pictures, which, by the way, is a fantastic album. Not taking anything away from that. Uh, but, you know, they've only heard the hits from Rush, and they start trying to have conversations with a, like, diehard Rush fan whose favorite song is, uh, you know, one of the one of the deep tracks from a farewell to kings or something like that and it just turns into a nightmare and ultimately the the rush fan who's you know devoted a whole lot of time and energy into you know loving this band for whatever reason ends up looking like the bad guy in that situation but that's again that's what happens when things uh take off and, and become mainstream the audience broadens and in a lot of cases, that core audience starts to feel alienated. And there are, you know, the, this, the way that takes shape in kind of modern culture is things become woke in that weird corporate way, in that we have to check off every single box. Uh, you know, we have to, we have to make sure uh, that you know every every permeation of possible person is uh, checked off here. You know every everyone gets everyone gets a ride on the pony, as it were. Um, even people who don't actually want to ride on the pony, even people who don't like horses at all. Uh, we want to you know move that horse out of the way and bring out a uh, a donkey but you know it it's a horse they they get to ride the horse it's that's not a horse that's a donkey eh, they get to ride the horse it'll make sense in just a little bit i hope but anyway it goes from this hobby or this thing this band is for anyone as in anyone who likes this can uh, consume it, enjoy it. This is something that uh, Short Fat Otaku talked about in, I believe, the Play a Subversive video, which was all about RPGs. 
he was talking about uh, the the Arch Warhammer uh, situation, and the the correct statement is Warhammers for anyone, as in anyone who thinks this is cool, anyone who thinks. Uh, you know, the you know, space marines versus orcs or, you know, tyranids or things like anyone who thinks that stuff is cool, anyone who likes it, likes the lore, all that stuff, you know, they, they're welcome in, you know, irregardless of who they are. Just, you know, hey, you, you like uh, Warhammer 40k? Sweet, come on in. It's not for everyone because not everyone is going to like Warhammer 40k. Uh, for example, my parents never understood it when I played. And we shouldn't expect that everyone could like it. And, you know, for, for someone like myself, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Other people seem to hate that concept and don't really seem to understand what that is. And, and as, you know, these things become more popular, the, the creator's try to make them for everyone which starts to alienate people who liked what it was to begin with and it feels a lot like what we liked is being sacrificed for a whole bunch of people who don't actually care about this thing they want to be here while it's popular and when the next thing comes along they're going to be gone and we're going to be left uh standing on a heap of ashes that used to be our favorite hobby. And we're going to have to put it back together. Which people are doing. I mean, comics is the same thing. And you see people, you know, kind of putting comics back together. You even see it in the OSR movement with RPGs. It's it's kind of like a preemptive, uh, when, when everyone leaves and the buildings all fall down, you know, we're going to have these other structures that are standing. But there are there are two reasons why this thing kind of happens. Um, one's more innocent and one's more pernicious. Uh, so the innocent version is it's just FOMO. You know, this is what's popular now. Uh, so I want to talk about it. I feel like I'm missing out on something because I don't know what FACO is or I don't know this, that, or the other thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't particularly care about orcs and, and, you know, their, you know, orcus and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know what a paladin is, but everyone seems to be having a good time and laughing and they're posting all these funny stories about, uh, you know, a man with a loot and tight pants, uh, betting a dragon. So, you know, I, I want to be involved in this, you know, there's, let me in, let, let me see what's going on here. I like your funny words, Magic Man. And ultimately, that's innocent. I mean, it may be kind of eye-roll-inducing to some of you. Um, but, you know, ultimately, that's just, you know, someone wants to see what's going on on the other side of the fence. And, you know, maybe they just need an explanation. Maybe they just, uh, you know, need to get a good introduction and then they're hooked. Or maybe they're just never going to get it. And they're only going to be here for a little while. And then they're going to move on. And then there's the pernicious reason. And this is what I'm going to focus on most of the time. 
because it's the thing that needs to be addressed. And that is there are people out there who want to force their view of everything on everyone in every circumstance. Uh, these are people who cannot tolerate the fact that you have a private life outside of other things. These are people who say stuff like the personal is political. Uh, these are people who are concerned with everything being problematic and everything has to fit a certain template. Everything has to be for everyone or it's for no one. And they are dogmatic and somewhat religious about this. And ultimately, these are the kind of destructive forces that we're seeing in pop culture. And by the way, this goes for all viewpoints. If you're trying to force every single piece of media into one unified vision, one worldview, everyone has to write this way, do this thing, everyone's got to be like this, that's a problem. Not everything is going to be for everyone unfortunately actually no not even unfortunately fortunately not everything is going to be for everyone that way things are distinct from each other one thing we're seeing right now and i think it's starting to come to roost in the marvel movies there are so many things that you cannot differentiate from each other in popular culture there are so many homogenous things that just blur and blend together Everything looks the same. Everything has the same sense of humor, the same color palette, the same character types. Everything just kind of comes out all this blend of colors to the point where it looks just completely black and white and gray. So fortunately, not everything's for everyone. There's going to be different flavors. It's not just vanilla ice cream or just chocolate ice cream or even just vanilla and chocolate ice cream there's 31 flavors or even more than that if you move beyond the confines of baskin robbins i don't want to disparage baskin robbins they're perfectly fine but you know there's there's multiple things out there that are you know for multiple people you just have to let people like those things. And you have to accept sometimes that you're just not going to get something. I'm never going to understand what people see in Yuri on Ice. Don't come into the comments and talk about it. I, I, I tried. Tried is not the right way. I was forced uh, to watch it because I thought we were going to be playing D&D &D that night. Or board games. But we were watching Yuri on Ice. So, yeah. There's that. But, you know, I, it's, not, it's not my thing. It's never going to be my thing. And you, you can't really change that about me. Sorry. But you know what? I like some things that aren't for everyone. I like, you know, Conan the Barbarian. I like uh, Rush. A lot of people don't like Rush. You know, I, I like whiskey. Elfie hates whiskey. It's fine. Just more whiskey for me. But what goes along with this kind of pernicious reason of the political views must be, or the you know personal worldviews must dominate everything. They have to be everywhere. They have to be in all aspects of everything. Is now 
some of the people who are coming at roleplay from that point of view are starting to attack one of the foundational pillars of roleplay. Rule zero, at any point the GM can bend the rules to better suit, you know, play. A lot of these people are being very dogmatic about the rules. They want rules as written. They want the rules to, you know, be the beginning and end of all things possible. Uh, they don't like having to kind of move beyond the, the confines of the rules into that weird gray area where you're not really sure what's going to happen. You kind of just have to take the leap of faith. That's one of the things that people don't like about OSR games who haven't tried them is that giant massive gray area where, you know, you don't know what could happen if you mess with this thing. Just the GM's going to ask for a roll and what happens happens. And when you attack that pillar, when you attack rule zero... You're attacking the creative concepts of D&D, of RPGs as a whole. You're, you're attacking the notion that, you know, this is better than a video game because whatever happens is, you know, it's, Im it's mostly improvisational. It's people, you know, working off one another. It's yes and. And sometimes they'll take you into some crazy, weird places that aren't necessarily on the rails. And my my fear with a lot of this is, you know, if you if you take rules as written to its natural conclusion, what you ultimately end up with is you can't homebrew, you can't do your own world, your own campaign. And again, this is several steps down the way. This is kind of near the uh, the bottom of the slippery slope. But there is a logical progression to this. Ultimately, if everything has to be rules as written, everything has to be, you know, official, you have to go by every, uh, you know, guideline given in every single book, including this giant turd, Van Richten's Guide, then ultimately the conclusion you come to is you can't have your own worlds, you have to play in the worlds that are given to you by the officially published modules. And I'm not down with that. I've not run a single game out of a Wizards of the Coast module. Uh, I run entirely homebrew games. I have a lot of 5e modules from other companies. I've Planet X is the big one. I've got a whole bunch of Planet X stuff. And if you get to the point where if you're going to play the system, you can only play in these settings that we give you, then at that point, why not just play a video game? Because all your decisions are going to be made for you at a certain point. If you have to stay within the bounds, stay on these rails, um, you know, it, all the content has to be approved beforehand before it shows up to bring kind of back to the uh, the RPG uh, safety tools topic that we're supposedly talking about tonight, then you're going to end up in the rail yard because the, the sandbox is too dangerous. 
In the sandbox, things could happen that haven't been pre-approved by everyone's consent form. Because, you know, it's a natural uh, consequence of you guys went off into this area, uh, we rolled on a random encounter table, and I know you're arachnophobic, but, you know, giant spiders, that's what the dice say. Now, obviously, you can fudge the dice roll, but... You know, if someone's like, no spiders at all, you can't have any spiders in this game, you know, at a certain point, you're you're going to run into that issue. Because giant spiders are a staple of D&D. And if, if you don't fight a giant spider at least once in your uh, RPG, then are you really playing an RPG? I jest, of course, but, you know, again, it's... Think about it. Think about having to play a game where you can't throw, you know, undead... At your players. Anyway, uh, let's move over to screen share for a little bit and take a look at this uh, consent and gaming PDF from Monty Cook Games and talk a little bit about the basics of um, you know, t- talk a little bit about the basics of, of these rules and and why I don't like them. And uh, Project Fullblade, welcome. I'm glad that you uh, glad you joined this evening. And yes, you come across a giant spider in the ribcage of a skeleton. That that is like peak RPG. That that you, that's playing with power. Alrighty. So consent and gaming. Uh, this was written by Sean K. Reynolds and Shanna Germain. Um, or I guess Shanna Germain is how you say that. Uh, Shanna, Shanna's interesting. We'll get to Shanna in just a little bit. Um, her background informs a lot of what you see here, and uh, not in a good way, in my opinion. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about the art here, but I just have to say... I don't like this cover. This isn't a great image. Um, first of all, let, let's zoom in here a little bit so you guys can see this. First of all, what's up with that guy's face? Just derp face here. Uh, this woman... You see these orb things floating around. Like there's one floating around this bat creature up here. So I'm guessing this orb is just constantly orbiting around this guy. And this woman's just kind of doing a, like, you know, Vogue pose. But the way her hand is and the way this thing is, uh, you know, floating in the air here, it looks like she tossed it backwards at him. And he's trying to, like, get out of the way, especially when you look at how jacked up his torso is. You can almost see, as soon as they walk in and start talking to this robed figure here, she just tosses the ball back at him. He's like, ah! What are you you doing? Why are you throwing that tennis ball at me? But no, that's that's all beyond the point. You get another piece here where everyone's got danger hair. and That was all... Both of those pieces were done by uh, Micro Paganassi, or Paganessi. Not a fan. Not a fan. It's a little uncanny valley for me. 
Anyway, as I said, this was released in 2019 by Monty Cook Games. It's a free PDF for anyone who wants it. Um, and here we have kind of the basic rundown of, you know, the, the thesis of these tools. So you decide what's safe for you. The default answer is no. I really don't like that one. We'll dig into that here in just a second. Uh, it doesn't matter why consent wasn't given. Nobody has to explain why they're not consenting. There may not be a reason why they're not consenting. I don't get that at all. Um, and there's a spectrum for each topic. It's not up for debate. They can always change their mind about what they are or aren't consenting to. Anyone is allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation at any time. And that's... I mean, those are the main pillars. That's what you can see here in this box. Uh, you know, the, these are the main topics. So the the good ones to talk about, uh, you know, the, the things that I think this particular document gets right about consent in RPGs. Uh, ultimately, it's your decision uh, what's safe for you. Of course. Naturally, yeah, you know, only you can decide, you know, kind of what you want to expose yourself to. Um, it doesn't matter why consent wasn't given. I can get behind that. I can get behind not wanting to, you know, tell everyone your, your deepest, darkest secrets and, you know, delve into possible trauma as long as you were uh, up front. About it, as long as you told people from the get-go, hey, if this comes up, uh, I'm not going to be okay. Uh, I don't want to talk about why, but you know, just before before the first dice roll of the first session, uh, before anyone is you know introducing their characters, just so you guys know, this issue is not something I want to discuss, and leave it there. That's perfectly fine. Uh, nobody has to explain why that that's pretty pretty well tied in with it doesn't matter why consent wasn't given and then uh there's a spectrum for each topic obviously like some things are just going to make you slightly uncomfortable some things uh may make you fully uncomfortable uh so bugs bugs is a good reason here that there's lots of talking about uh you know bug phobias in this document i think a lot of people's bug phobias are just you know bugs kind of wig them out a little bit and as long as you're not like tormenting them with there are bugs crawling on you constantly or something like that and you know descriptions same thing with violence you know as long as you're not being overly descriptive or you know going into super gross detail uh, most people are gonna be fine um, some people really like that gross detail though and it's all about kind of reading the room as a dungeon master it's not up for debate yeah I mean if it's a hard line for you it's not up for debate and then anyone is allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation at any time if you're really not comfortable with the group you're gaming with then yeah uh, if I were gaming with someone and they just got up to leave and were like hey uh, 
truth be told, I'm not super, you know, I'm not into this. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'd be surprised, you know, I'd, I'd be like, uh, okay, but I'm not going to try and stop them. I might say, you know, can, you know, you want to try something else? You want to, you want to do something else? Um, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to I'd be like, no, you have to stay. Stay till the end of the session. Probably talk to them separately afterwards, but yeah. Not gonna, not gonna keep anyone there against their will. Um, and then there are two kind of main props that come along with these basics. Um, one is the X card, and one is the consent form. The consent form is the very last page of this document, and uh, we'll go over that because it's it's a doozy. But the ultimate con of all of this is a lot of these tools are very much everything in the game stops on the whims they'd say the uh the emotional expressions but let's be real here the whims of one player to read the text verbatim. Let's see if I can find it here. It's somewhere down here. Oh, here we go. Under it's not up for debate. Uh, it's inappropriate and unfair for anyone else in the game to pressure, persuade, bribe, or influence someone to change their mind about a consent topic. Bribe is an interesting one. Again, Project Full Blade and Chad here. Uh, I've never really, I've never come across this issue at all. I've come across people saying, I don't like this game. Or, you know, like, I'm not having fun. Uh, but I've never come across anyone being like... You know, I'm wigged out, I'm uncomfortable, uh, you know, this is reminding me of trauma, and I've definitely never come across someone being like, I know it'll change your mind, here's, uh, you know, here's three Alexander Hamiltons to, to, you know, keep playing the game. Or here's two Andrew Jacksons, you know, here, here's some money. But then it also says they shouldn't argue why it's actually okay. The group shouldn't outvote them and make them accept a topic they're not comfortable with. Here's a manicotti. Thank you, John Page. We got both the Page boys in here tonight. I love it. <laughs> that might actually work at, at John's table based on what I've seen from uh, from Twitter. Uh, if I were playing if I were playing full blade. Uh, with the page boys and i was just like you know guys i'm i'm super not into this right now this is this is really wigging me out and john just set a plate in front of me and was like will this change your mind i'd be like let's keep going let's keep hearing about how many giant spiders there are in this uh, skeleton's rib cage And it says they shouldn't beg the person to try it. They shouldn't offer that person snacks, extra loot for their character, a date, 
or a promise that the next game will use their favorite game system. Again, a date? I've read some of the RPG horror stories that you can find on Reddit. Um, that subreddit is... It's weird. That that's It's a weird, like, repository of... Let's talk about all the absolute worst stuff that you could encounter in, you know, an RPG. It's basically don't game with people you don't trust. That's the thesis of that particular um, subreddit. But yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one. But yeah, I, I understand the, the main thrust of the argument here. It's don't try to pressure someone into being comfortable with something but the issue that i have with this is if everyone else at the table is having fun and enjoying the game but one person isn't it's not on everyone else to change it's on the one person to either talk with the dungeon master and work around it you know you know f find out a way to make it work or to find a new game or to volunteer to run a game their way. Um, it's not on everyone else to completely stop on a dime and change everything they want to do uh, with one player. Especially in, and I'll use my situation because I always do this. Especially when you've already set the groundwork of what the game is going to be and that person has agreed to it. At that point it is too late. In my opinion. When I have clearly outlined... Here's the tone, here's what we're going for, you know, Night Haven, as an example, because the page boys are here. Night Haven. There's crime and gruesome stuff, and there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable uh, issues related to certain crimes that people commit, as you guys saw in Session 3. Uh, there's there's some straight-up not-okay stuff happening in the city of Night Haven. Um and it's all in service to the the plot that we're going for. And ultimately, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler warning. Uh, I think it's pretty clear what's going to happen here. Ultimately, the party is going to try and stop that stuff. And, you know, probably succeed in stopping that stuff. Because, you know, they're doing pretty good. All things considered. But if we got to that point after I warned them of what was going to happen and uh, he's not here, so I'll pick on him. Let's say Prax was just like, whoa, I'm not cool with this. At that point, I'd be like, hey, Prax, you agreed to this. All right. You, you, you agreed to you agreed to play the game. So, you know, we're here. Prax would never do that. He's, he's a good guy. None of them would do it. The Night Haven group is really perfect for the the game that I have given them. They, I, I think they're really enjoying it, um, and and I'm enjoying running the game for them. So there's that. But yeah, this here, it's it's not on everyone in the group to suddenly change the way they play or how they want to play for everyone else. Um, or, or for one person, you know, that one person has to find a solution for them, find the best solution for them. 
The other thing that I really don't like here is that the default answer is no. Um, because of how heavy uh, improv is in RPGs, in my opinion, the default answer is yes and, or yes but. And this is across the board. Um, again, in my opinion. Yes and or yes but. Because if the default answer is no, then every situation, every dilemma, every suspenseful moment is going to be undercut by checking with everyone to make sure it's okay. <clears throat> every time, you know, it's the Halloween season, I've mentioned uh, Van Richten's guide already, so let's say you're playing in Ravenloft. And you're exploring, uh, you know, some kind of haunted castle. If every time a monster is going to uh, pop out and scare the players, you go, all right, uh, everyone make me a, uh, you know, a, everyone make me a, a wisdom check, uh, perception. Everyone make me a perception check. And then let's say, uh, you know, everyone fails. You go, all right. Something is going to jump out and scare you. Everything okay? Is everyone okay if it's a werewolf? You know, any, anyone opposed to werewolves? No, no, no. Okay, werewolf jumps out and scares you. <clears throat> that, that scenario is just dumb. It's dumb. It's stupid. It undercuts the atmosphere. What you do in that situation is everyone fails uh you think you hear something uh it's probably just the wind and suddenly the door bursts open and a werewolf you know runs through and howls blood covering his face and his shirt truth be told the concept of the wisdom save or the uh the perception check undercuts the fact that there's going to be a jump scare here in a second um so you could even go a step further and uh you know you don't hear anything and then as the players keep moving let's say he's moving stealthily world's kind of like systematically trying to pick people off individually as he's grabbing players have them make a strength check don't tell them for what don't tell them what they see just Make me a strength check to resist the grapple. So yeah, having the default answer be no undercuts any suspense that you could have in a game. That's why you have everyone agree to things before you even start. Just say, hey, there's going to be violence. Uh, there might be some horror, might be some spooky stuff. Uh, there's going to be some kind of uncomfortable situations or scenarios uh, that involves some grody things. Is everyone down for that kind of game? And if anyone's saying no, if multiple people are saying no, if like if the majority of players aren't into that, then you know you might want to rethink your game or find a group that is into that. But for the most part, you know, if everyone says yes, green light. In the words of Matthew McConaughey.
so yeah, that's that's just that just undercuts the whole the whole nature of what what these games are, in my opinion. Um, and all of these tools, just to to get into the X card here, they're very showy. They very much they they all emphasize that everything has to be you know private. You don't have to tell anyone why. You don't have to give an explanation or anything like that. But all the attention is drawn to you, who invokes these things. This is where we'll get into the X card. So the X card, um, it's a card that you've drawn the letter X on, and uh, you either have people hold it up or tap it if um, they're uncomfortable. And then at that point... Uh, you just, you know, move past that. This was the kind of original concept in uh, in role-playing uh, that this, or in role-playing safety tools that kind of birthed this document. But this is, for, for as much lip service as they pay to this being, you know, just tap the card and you're done. As soon as you tap the card, everyone's gonna be like, the hell? It just happened. And in order to do so in a way that you maybe, you know, get the dungeon master's attention, because I know me personally, I get into some stuff. I might not even be looking at a player at a given time. Um, when I'm running games, my Dark Sun game was a good example of this. I'd look at individual players as I was talking to them. So if I'm describing... Uh, the way in which uh, a creature from Dark Sun was tearing apart uh, Claw and uh, one of the other players at the table had an issue with the like the descriptions that I was using they were tapping the X card um, I wouldn't see it because I'm looking I'm looking at that play at the Claw's player being like hey here's what's happening you know, he's, he's trying to rip your arms out of socket and things like that. And players over there furiously tapping the X card. I can't see it. They're going to have to say something. At that point, um, you know, you, the whole point of the X card is that you don't have to say anything. To get my attention, you're going to have to say something. You're, you're going to have to speak up. And even then, I'm going to be like, hey, what the hell? I was on a roll. You okay? What's going on? So, again, this is a, like, you, you solve this thing up front. You, you don't have everything stop on one player's whims. And this, like, make no mistake, not only can this be used to enforce someone's whims, uh, this will be used to enforce someone's whims. I can very easily see someone using this to get out of a character death. And they could say something like, hey, you know, death is super traumatic for me. Uh, you know, de death, having my character die here, I'm, I'm very attached to that character. And that's that's really going to that's really going to hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> someone says, hey, killing my character is really going to hurt my feelings in this situation. I'm going to be like, tough. I was super attached to Cromwell. 
if Muhammad had decided to kill Cromwell at any moment, or if I had gotten myself into a situation where uh, Cromwell was going to die, would I have been upset? Probably. Most likely. I would have tried to stop him. If those were the consequences of my actions, then Cromwell's gonna die. And I'll have to come back with a new character. Fortunately, Cromwell lived. But this is something, all of this, this is stuff that can easily be used in bad faith and easily be used to draw attention to a player. And that's one of the the biggest problems with a lot of this culture is a lot of it's very performative. If people were genuinely as upset by a lot of the stuff that they pretend to be upset about online for sympathy, then a medical professional would probably recommend them not leaving their house. And I know there are edge cases. I know there are people who are genuinely put off by those things. And what I'm going to recommend is that those people find, you know, special groups designed for that. I'm sure there are people who run RPGs for, uh, I don't know, people in institutions or people who uh, have kind of developmental disabilities. I know there are people who run them for children. People who wouldn't necessarily be able to handle certain social situations may have to find groups that accommodate those things. But these tools are not ways to kind of, you know, engender any sort of goodwill from your fellow players if they're used on a regular basis. And that's, you know in a good situation where they're they're being used by someone who's legitimately upset by something for the most part if you know you're playing with someone and they want to show how um you know they, they want to show how oppressed they are they want to show how interesting they are because they suffer in in some certain way or just they've got that big giant Chekhov's X sitting on the table and they want to use it that's gonna upset me as a dungeon master if I perceive that if I had set that up and someone used it in that way if I'd set that up in good faith and someone used it that way I'm pretty upset that's not cool but that's in a lot of cases that might be how it's used And then we get into following the X card. We get into these, uh, you know, recovering from consent mistakes. And this is, um, basically a lot of the stuff says, you know, what anything that was checked on a consent form or anything that was agreed to beforehand, if someone had changed their mind at this point, uh, you're still the asshole for bringing it up. And if you bring up the fact that, uh, you know, something was agreed to beforehand, you're still the asshole. And it even, like, goes through how to apologize to people and stuff. This is where I feel like they're, they're treating us like children. 
this is one of the, the big issues that I have. And then we get into aftercare. And aftercare, a lot of this stuff rings very much like... Um, a lot of this, conf- I feel like, confuses tabletop roleplay with sexual roleplay. And one of the authors of this book... Uh, writes erotic literature. And in a lot of ways, I feel like those two worlds are bleeding together here in this book, because this is just, like, this is a game. And I've been upset about stuff that's happened in games before. Make no mistake. Um, We all have. Anyone who invests a certain amount of time into this hobby has been upset that certain things have happened in an RPG session or happened to their character. we don't have to have a snuggle circle every time a character dies or, uh, you know, have, have cake and juice boxes, uh, when there's a heavy combat, you know, that this is just, you know, again, you're, you're, you're coddling people. And if you think that this is necessary, um, I just, you know, want to know why. Why do you think this is necessary? It even mentions here, be aware of bleed. When your character, the emotional state of your character might affect you, the player. Yeah. Obviously. You have to be an adult and realize it's just a game at the end of the day. It's a game you love. It's a game you put a lot of time into. Even me as a dungeon master. Uh... If things didn't go the way I thought they would, I used to get super upset about that. And ultimately, I had to have that conversation. Uh, so, My players had that conversation with me, but I had the conversation with myself, too, after they did. I, you know, I did my own thinking about it as well. Came to the conclusion they were right. Ultimately, it's just a game. Ultimately, it's just a game, and it's... You're an adult. You can come to that conclusion on your own. And if you can't, if it continues to bother you, then you probably shouldn't be gaming at my table. Sorry. But it's just a game. And the last thing I want to talk about here as we're looking at this is this consent checklist form. Uh, some Again, this is a mixed bag. Some of this is uh, good stuff. I like the idea of a movie rating. I do that for a lot of my games. If I have to, some like for convention games, I usually give my convention games a rating because a lot of conventions ask for it. So, you know, usually my games are somewhere between PG-13 and R. And then we get into consent topics and clarifications. And here's what the list looks like if I, you know, move down here. Before we get to that, though, there's a section here talking about how not to use it. Um, Basically, if you opt out of something, it should never be brought up. But if you opt in, that doesn't mean it's always okay. Or that is the opt in isn't really an opt in so weird you know here's the consent checklist you put 
GM's name, player name, plan game theme. This game were a movie, the rating would be... And then we get into topics. Green is enthusiastic consent. Bring it on. Bring on the eyeballs. I want at least two eyeballs on my character. Anyone without at least two eyeballs, not okay. Cyclopses, get them out of here. I want multiple eyeballs. Yellow, okay if veiled or offstage. Might be okay on stage, but requires discussion at time. Yellow, I'm, you know, non-committal. I don't know how I feel about eyeballs. I think I want to play a character who doesn't have eyeballs. So, you know, no eyeballs for me. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't decided. And red, hardline, do not include. So, if anyone has eyeballs, I'm going to be real upset. I don't know how I'm going to know because my character has none, but no eyeballs at all. Don't want to do it. Everyone's playing Daredevil this time. And some of this stuff, I understand. Uh, like, you know, keeping... If I were to keep any of this, um, I'd probably keep the gore under horror... Uh, harm to animals, definitely. Harm to children. And that'd be about it. I feel like blood and gore kind of belong in the same category. But, like, these three. Gore, harm to animals, harm to children. That's, you know, your... Those I can understand where you're coming from here. Uh, especially the harm to children one. Because, again, they're... That can be a very traumatic experience, and that's not something to, to play around with lightly. And harm to animals, I know some people are very sensitive about that. Um, we had an issue with that in one of my games where ultimately I had to just not throw animals at the party as monsters anymore. Because uh, I knew basically every time they, they weren't going to fight the monster, they were going to try to or the animal, they were going to try and turn the animal to become a pet. And I didn't want to have a zoo following them around, so it basically just turned into, you know, no more animal enemies. And then the other one is uh, relationships. So romance, I'd keep that, you know... If you don't want between PCs, obviously, you know, you might not want someone trying to hit on you in character. I get it. I, I totally get that. Uh, and sex, I definitely keep. I wouldn't have a separate box for romance, uh, like romance and then all the topics underneath it. It would just be romance and then, like, check that apply. Would you prefer fade to black, between PCs, NPCs, explicit, you know, all that stuff. Uh, social and cultural issues. Um, if you are playing a very political game, like anything set in a city, 
anything faction-based, anything that involves, like, governments, uh, you know, overthrowing a king or something like that, this is all going to be on the table. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a... It's a game where people are interacting with people, so all of that is going to be on the table. Potentially, depending on who your character is. Um... Or, or depending on the situations they find themselves in. And a lot of this stuff is uh, propellant for conflict, for storytelling, for allowing a character to overcome uh, you know, certain situations. The, let's take the racism one, for example. Um, your elven character finds themselves in a dwarf conclave where they don't feel super welcome but they have to be there because of you know the certain mission they ended up going into the the tunnels we'll use nighthaven as an example again uh they went into the graveyard of titans uh got messed up by some monsters underneath uh you know the catacombs and some dwarven miners kind of pulled them out you know chased the monsters away and got them back to brawn anvil um, and then, you know, in the regular light, even though dwarves have dark vision, uh, you know, they, they finally see, hey, one of these people we rescued is an elf. And then the elven player, Rez, Rez is playing an elf. He has to deal with that. He's got to deal with the situation there. <laughs> we're not sure we're happy about this. And it might turn out that, you know, Rez makes some Dwarven friends. Maybe he ends up saving someone's life. You know, the, these are all... These can all be used in... I, I would leave out real-world religion because it's a role-playing game. you got your own, like, you've got clerics and, and uh, warlocks and things like that. There's all kinds of weird, crazy deities and D&D, so I'd leave real-world religion out entirely, pretty much. And then specific cultural issues, well, specific to what? To Nighthaven? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to deal with those. <clears throat> and then mental and physical health. Uh, paralysis, physical restraint. I'm going to use hold person on you. Self-harm, only if you roll a one. Uh, sexual assault, that kind of goes under here, but I can see where that's coming from and it's probably not going to happen. Uh, torture, this is in Iraq. Terrorism, uh, that's usually the purview of the party, terrorism. Uh, I, as the dungeon master, don't commit a lot of terrorism. That's for the players. Thirst. <laughs> I don't want thirst in my game. Well, I don't want to track food and water, so... All good. <clears throat> Should we put encumbrance on here, too? My goodness. Freezing to death. Again, I'm going to cast ice spells on you all day. 
so yeah, a lot of the again, this is a mixed bag. There are some some decent ideas here, and there are some that are just silly. And the ultimately, because I believe in rule zero, uh, I would never pay money for this. Unfortunately, they're not asking for money for this. I'm generally just going to ignore this and continue playing the game the way I want to. If anyone takes issue with it, then uh, yeah. Uh, you don't have to play in my game. That's fine. We're not going to like the same things. It's it's cool. You play your game, I'll play my game. That's it. That's the extent. So, those are safety tools. Ultimately, what this comes down to is be adults. You know, be cool. Don't cause problems at the table. And in situations where these rules are in place, there's a whole nother aspect to being what Seth Gorkowski calls the roleplay terrorist. There's, there's a separate uh, a flip side to that coin, where instead of trying to kill all the NPCs, steal all the loot, mess with everyone's game, uh, you're trying to keep everything that you don't like from happening. That's also roleplay terrorism. That also violates the ethos of D&D if you're doing stuff like that. And if you set out these systems where people can abuse that, then yeah. Ultimately, what this comes down to is, uh, you know, I think Chesterton's fence. Before you tear down a fence, you know, figure out why it was put there in the first place. Realize that, you know, not every change is going to be a positive change. And... People can use uh, what was set out for, you know, supposedly good reasons, you know, for bad reasons. People can misuse their power, misuse all of this stuff. So ultimately, because it can be so easily misused, it's not going to find its way into my game. It never will. And there's going to be a lot of pressure moving forward for this to be in every game. I'm sure 5.5 edition, which is coming in a few years, a couple years, I'm sure it's going to have a whole section on these rules. Probably word for word, these rules are going to be in 5.5 edition. Um, I'm sure, you know, every game company that believes in these kinds of things is going to, you know, have some section in their game's about all this. And ultimately, I'm not going to use it. And I'm going to, you know, tell everyone up front what kind of game we're playing. I'm going to ask if that's the kind of game they want to play. If yes, that solves all the problems. And if not, well, find another game. Or if I'm outnumbered, uh, I'll change or I'll find another game. And that's that. That's all there is to it. All of these issues are just don't be a jerk. Don't be an asshole. Be an adult. Uh, you know, handle things like an adult. Have adult emotions. The dungeon master is not here to be a parent. Uh, we don't need these outside rules about, you know, what 
can and can't be said or what can and can't be done in the game just you know be an adult about these things and that's it that's all you need so yeah that is the only thing i'm ever going to say about safety tools um any other time they come up i will refer people back to the stream back to this video back to this podcast episode however they want to consume it so that's going to do it for tonight uh let's see coming up next week uh sometime in early to mid-november we're gonna do uh the next session of night haven uh currently it's scheduled for the 8th but that's either gonna move to next week the 1st or the 15th depending on schedules uh at some point in November, I am going to do an intro to Mutant Crawl Classics, the same way I did Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, so we'll go through the MCC book, uh, we'll take a look at it, and we'll talk about how MCC and DCC work together, uh, you know, different products that have brought them together, Crypt of the Science Wizard, and why MCC is cool. We'll probably look at Mud Puppy Games stuff, too. Because I've got the... Uh, Excuse me. I've got two issues of Scientific Barbarian that Jim Wampler gifted to me. So, you know, it'll be it'll be cool to talk about that system. And to uh, take a look at Mutant Crawl Classics for those of you who uh, like your mutants, like your Mad Max, all that kind of stuff. I'm hoping to have John Hambone McGuire at some point. And also, before Thanksgiving, we are going to be doing the uh, 2021 Holiday Gift Guide for the Gamer in Your Life. That was a hit last year, so we're going to do it again this year. And uh, yeah, that's what's coming up in November. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope everyone has a happy Halloween. Uh, I'm going to eat some chili, because that's what I do on Halloween. I eat chili. And uh, yeah. Whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.